0: So I've always looked at this week as maybe the most interesting, perhaps outside of trade deadline week of the season. This is U.S. Thanksgiving week, and a couple of things to pay attention to. So one, it's going to be kind of a a, a goofy schedule. Like there are, well, first of all, there's the, the lion's share of teams in the NHL this week are all playing four games. There are 17 teams in the NHL that are that have the the dreaded four game week. So if you're a player in the american hockey league right now um and you're on the ahl affiliate for either the ducks the coyotes the flames the hurricanes the avalanche the stars the preds the devils the islanders the senators the flyers the sharks the blues the leafs the canucks the knights the jets eh, you might want to pack an extra bag with you wherever you go this week You don't like talking about or predicting injuries, but when you have a schedule like this, there's a certain inevitability that comes along with it. There are only three teams in the NHL that will play two games this week. They are Detroit, Florida, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the schedule itself is a little bit bizarre. And I don't really grouse about the schedule or the start times. A lot of these are made based on arena avails and when teams want to play games. Most importantly, the local market and getting butts in seats not well. Do guys like Merrick, you know, want more staggered starts? And do we have to have five games that start at 7 o'clock Eastern? Ten games tonight, only two games tomorrow, 15 games on Wednesday, zero on Thursday. Thanks, That's Thanksgiving, and we've... You know, hockey is, you know, allowed, you know, football to take the lead there, much like we've all allowed basketball to take the lead on Christmas. Would still like to see at least one game on both of those dates, but I digress. And then 14 games on Friday. So when you want to talk about stops and starts, that's what this week might feel like to you. 10 games tonight. Boom. This is amazing. Tons of hockey to watch. Eh. A scant two tomorrow, then 15 on Wednesday, none on Thursday, take a break, and then 14 on Friday. So you bring in our producer, Matt Marchese. Elliot Friedman, by the way, um, uh, is at the Maple Leafs Islanders skate, so he'll stop by in about an hour's time. How are you today, Matty? I'm
1: good, buddy. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm good. So th- th- this week is always the interesting one. In some ways, this is kind of the cut line. This is decision time for a lot of teams, as teams are right up in and around the 20-game the mark. Uh, you have a look at what's under the hood. You really know what you have in your organization, which way you're going. Uh, a lot of your decisions are gonna, for the future are going to be based on you know where you're at at the end of this week. Uh, and as I mentioned off the top, 17 teams in the NHL will play four times this week. So it's going to be a big one for a lot of teams. Uh, and also, after this week, it sounds like, you know Elliot was reporting this on Saturday. It sounds like, the Ottawa Senators' sale, the impending sale of the Ottawa Senators will start to pick up steam um, after this uh, this Thanksgiving week. So this one is always a, a real interesting one because teams are saying, okay, are we in, are we out? And the teams that are out, and you start to wonder about trade, you start to wonder about who's going to be made available. A lot of the trade talk and a lot of that speculation tends to pick up. And then for the other teams, it's, okay, we think we have a pretty good shot here at the playoffs. Maybe things are pretty much wrapped up. What other business do we need to do? A very long-winded way, Maddie, of me saying, this is always a really interesting week around the
1: NHL. Yeah, and I was looking at the standings, and five teams in the East are within five points of a playoff spot. And I know that it's really early, and I get that. But there's also seven teams in the West that are within five points of a playoff spot. So basically, the only team that's out of it in the West is the Anaheim Ducks because they have 11 Mm -hmm. points. But there's so much... And I agree with your sentiment that this is a big week because there is just very little separation and there's a lot of parity in the league. The top teams are the top teams and we get that. But near the murky middle, there's a lot of teams that maybe they have no idea what they are and maybe that you know i know that the american thanksgiving is the is the benchmark for a lot of teams but i wonder if it gets pushed even a week or two where teams start to figure it out because it's like win some lose some win some lose some and they still may not have an idea of what they actually are
0: i don't know i think 20 games you pretty much know what you have like i I look at the west and i know you know I, uh, that they're they're more bunched up outside of Anaheim, who are right there at the basement with only 11 points after 18 games. But there's only really of the teams of the teams that aren't in, okay, with wildcard, I still think that Calgary will be fine. The one the ones that I worry about, or I look at and I say, this is going to be an interesting decision that these two teams have to make. One is Nashville, the other is Minnesota. With all due respect to all the teams underneath them, because let's not forget too, there are teams you have to climb over to climb up in the standings. It's not as if just you know a simple three-game uh, winning streak and you're you're right back in there in a, in a playoff spot. Um, you know we all know about Vancouver's season, and this is going to be a very interesting week for them. Um, and what happens with that team, perhaps most specifically behind the bench. Uh, I think we know, I think we know what's happening there, uh, and we know that you know Rutherford is trying to make deals. I think Chicago knows what they have. Uh, San Jose, I think Mike Greer is starting to have a good understanding of what he has there, and that's why he's floating names like Eric Carlson at the general manager's meetings, getting everyone to sort of stiffen up their spine and pay attention and say, okay, if Greer is saying maybe we'd part with uh, Eric Carlson, what do we have to do? to try to get him into this mix and can we do it we all know what the plan is for arizona and by the way this is a big week for arizona because jacob chikrin comes back and the one thing that has held up more significant discussion of a jacob chikrin trade is no one knows how he's going to be when he comes back to play you know it was uh by the way how about getting hit in the face with a puck on Saturday? Like, of all the things, Maddie, that Jacob Trickman has gone through just trying to get healthy to, to get back in, we know he wants out of Arizona, we know the Coyotes want to move him, um, and they're looking for a big return, and you're a couple of days away from coming back, and you get hit in the face with a puck, like, talk about talk about just having no luck. So we know what the plan in Arizona is, as Elliot reported, don't be surprised if something happens with Connor Timmons, I still think something will happen with uh, Shane Goss' spare. that might be a deadline move, so... That blue line is going to look a lot different. You know, it seems as if, you know, amongst the, the names you hear in, in trade talk, anyone not named Clayton Keller, I mean, K- Keller may be the only one that they have locked down. Pretty much everybody else Uh, up for grab, so we know what the plan is there. And then, you know, the Anaheim Ducks store, I think a lot of teams are going to come, you know, knocking at Pat Beak's store to see what's available and what the prices are, and I think a lot of that's going to revolve around John Klingberg, who's on the one-year $7 million deal. But anyhow, I I know it looks like they're close, Matty, but there's only really three teams that I do wonder about, the Flames, the Preds, and the Minnesota Wild. I can see Bill Guerin doing something big. Like that's the thing. We can all see Bill Guerin trying to do something big. We can see David Poyle do something big. And Brad Frilving's not shy. The last time I checked, I can also see the Calgary Flames. We know they're trying to bring in another scorer, bring in another forward. I think we can all see the Calgary Flames doing something here.
1: Yeah, and the the reason why I brought up just all those teams kind of in the cuz like I I know we know Chicago is is out of it and they're trying to rebuild things. I think it's more with the teams that we expect to be better. Are they looking internally and going, well, hold on a second. Are we as good as we thought? Or, or some teams in this case, are we better than we thought? Like a team like Seattle, for example, are we better than we thought? Like is, is this 10, five and three record indicative of the team that we have? Can we go out and add, should we still look to the future? Because I think Seattle is a really interesting one as well because you know we talked we've we've mm-hmm. heard about ron francis wanting to weaponize cap space and we haven't seen it to the degree i think that we expected to see it but this team is playing mm-hmm. above my expectations for sure I, i'd be curious to see kind of where they fall i did want to ask you about the chicken thing because we know sure. we, we have an idea of what the asking price was and and maybe that's changed maybe it hasn't i'm sure from arizona's perspective it hasn't it has yeah, but, but my my thing is, how long do other teams need to see Jacob Chikrin? Because we know the player he is or was before the injury. Post injury, yeah. like, is this a is this a, a month thing? Is this a two week thing? Or is the biggest concern with Jacob Chikrin not the ability, but more the availability?
0: It's a great question. Uh, I think it's probably different from uh, from every team. I, I think that. For some teams, it'll be fewer games than others. Um, I think for some, I think for some more cautious teams, uh, they'll obviously want them to. Uh, they'll, they'll want to uh, to see Jacob Trickett longer. But I mean, if you're the Arizona Coyotes, I mean, in in some ways, you kind of all you need to do is establish the marketplace, right? Like let's take let's take three let's take three candidates here that we've heard attached to Jacob Trickett. Okay, so we'll take the uh, the New York Islanders, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Los Angeles Kings. Let's just take those two because those names, you know, going back a year now, uh, have been had been attached at various times to Jacob Chikrin. Um, let's say the Islanders want to take a more cautious approach, but they really want the player, but they they want to see him play longer to see if he can, you know, see what his durability is like. Now, by the way. This is going to be a week that really tests their ability for the Arizona Coyotes because I mentioned off the top they have a four-game week. There's 17 teams. I don't know if you got that. 17 teams that play four times this week. Um, that's a that's a that's a killer on the body. So I think for some teams, this may be you know really the the, the first big test. And for some teams, that might be enough. Like is that going to be a, enough for Rob Blake, but not enough for Lou Lamarillo? Is it going to be you know too much or, or not enough for you know Yarmo Kekalainen? I mean, everybody's different, but once you have like once you have an offer from one team, you shop it right? This is what Columbus has offered us, Lou last time I checked they're in your division, Lou, would you like to do something Lou can you put more sugar in the coffee here? You know what I'm getting at? like I don't think that there's one sort of demarcation point for every team where okay, we see him for six games we're settled we know that Jacob Chricken is 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 healthy again i i think for i think for every team it's uh, it's it's wildly different matty i really do don't
1: okay, you okay so yeah no i i agree because i do believe that there are teams that go listen we know what the player is but i'm just not sure if he's healthy there are some that will look at him and go still not sure what he's going to be after the injury now the other question as a as an addition to that is is jacob chricken the one holding up the market for defensemen is he is he the is he the point where everybody kind of they, you know, make an offer off of? So, so if it's Jacob Chikrin that goes, does that set the market for maybe a John Klingberg? I know the contract situations are different, but is Contracts is that different. the type of player that we're talking about here?
0: No, because I think honestly, I think I think Jacob Chikrin is unique just because of the contract because he's he's cost controlled uh, for another couple of seasons at a very manageable. What is it? Four point. Two five. Let me grab this here one second. You know he has a a very team friendly deal that he's on. So Jacob Chikrin uh, has 4. two more years after this at four point six million dollars. Like these are real. Like I, I don't know that we're gonna compare. You know anyone else in the marketplace? Like there are other players, defensemen that have term. Uh, but you look at it. I mean Eric Carlson comes to mind. You say yeah he has term but his ha- cap hit is enormous and you know this is really this is really onerous here i don't know if we can do that you know some of the other you know uh obvious defensemen and we think of john klingberg with the anaheim ducks i mean he's we would imagine would be available between now and trade deadline but i don't think you can compare him to jacob chikrin i think Ch- I, I i think that that chikrin is is really his own his own beast in this marketplace because there's not going to be someone that you're going to plug into your top pair who's going to be at a very team-friendly number not just for the remainder of this season but for another two seasons which in a lot of ways if you're arizona opens up a whole new avenue of trade like if you're the columbus blue jackets for example um why would you be interested in jacob chikrin you know if you're not if you know if you're looking at your team right now and you're like the, the team has just been decimated with injuries. Like this is, I feel just horrible uh, for the, for the blue jackets, but you know, you might think, well, why would they be interested in Chickland? Well, they might not be interested in doing something with this season because of the players that they have not available for service, but they have two more years of $4.6 million. Like that's attractive to teams that are both in the playoff hunt and teams that aren't like take your pick everyone from LA to Columbus to the Florida Panthers to wherever how could you not be interested right we've heard St. Louis attached to to this this player before we've heard Ottawa attached to this player at times people have tried to make the point about the Edmonton Oilers not so sure that that's necessarily going to happen. But, I mean, there's a lot of teams both in and out of the playoffs that would be interested in this player. Just And that's why I don't know that we can compare Chikrun to anybody just because those last two years. 4.6, first-pairing defenseman, uh that's a, that's a tap-in for a lot of people. Uh, we'll get back to the uh, discussion of the standings, uh, but I want to get right to our first guest. Uh, he really is someone that does not need much of, if not any, introduction whatsoever he is our good friend Darren Pang to tell us what the St. Louis Blues have done to turn this around Panger uh, we got you free a few always appreciate your contributions how are you today
2: I'm doing great Jeff uh, fantastic and uh, you know I, I I think it's a good lesson in, uh, in sticking with it I think Jeff what happened here in St. Louis I think if I'm not mistaken they're the only team in the history that lost eight games in regulation Regulation losses, yep. zero points, no, yep. and then come back yep. win six straight, right? I mean, so like that—that's an N- you know, you're, the, you're the right.
0: NH- NHL record. Bang on,
2: yeah. NHL record. So you know, you've got a veteran general manager and Doug Armstrong. He doesn't panic. He's obviously very disappointed with losing four straight, five straight, six straight, seven straight. He has a meeting with the team or and the and the media. He says, uh, I think you guys have heard enough from the coach and enough from the players. Time for me to step in. He had a meeting with the players and he basically gave them the option. Hey, listen, we got a good team here. We haven't had to rebuild in the 14 years that he's been here. If you want to know what a rebuild looks like, you can, you know, Nick Letty went to the Detroit Red Wings for two years after being with the, you know, with the New York Islanders, a team that was uh, one game away from a Stanley Cup final. This is It's real simple. So it's up to you guys. you want to turn it around, then we'll be competitive and I'll add on. If you don't, then you're going to be in a rebuilding mode, and that's no fun for anybody. So I think the, the message was taken to heart. The players really picked things up, and they are playing some really, really good hockey, starting with the game in Vegas that they won, and then they went to Colorado and won, and now they're, they're off and running right now in, in, yeah. in a really confident group.
0: And we're just all over Anaheim 6-2 on the weekend. And, you know, a lot of the charge being led by Bushnevich and Thomas and and Cairo. But, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up Doug Armstrong because, you know, some people are saying, oh, it's 2019 all over again. Here we go. They were going to, you know, wave Bowmeister and send Maroon down and it's Hail Mary passes and blow everything up and... Armstrong decided not to do any of it. Next thing you know, they're raising a Stanley Cup and everybody has rings. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves on that one. But the one thing that Armstrong has – there's a couple of things we've learned about him is if he believes in a team, he'll be patient with it. If he doesn't believe in a team, even if they're in the hunts, he will punt come trade deadline time. Those are two of the things. Like I don't think I know much about what goes on between the ears of Doug Armstrong, but I know those two things, Panger. What else can you tell us about mm-hmm. Doug Armstrong?
2: Well, he, he generally takes a lot of emotion out of things. Um, you know, we found that out with yeah. players that have left after great contributions and not coming to an understanding on a new deal and just kind of cutting the cord and, and moving in other directions, whether. He's right or he's wrong. He's, uh, he's, he has conviction. I think he looks forward. He looks ahead a lot, you know, and he, I think we're going through that right now, to be quite honest with you. He's got some, you know, he's got some defensemen that could probably have played the last couple of games in, in Pareco and Bortuzzo, but instead of rushing them back in the lineup, he wants to see a little bit more from uh, a guy named Tyler Tucker, um, you know, who had a fight in the last game, who's come up now and has played four games and played real well. I think he's good at evaluating what's next. And how close are the younger players jumping in, like Nikita Alexandrov, uh, Alexei Toropchenko? I mean, those are good examples of, of Army and his staff's analysis of, okay, do we need help in that direction? Or are these kids going to be able to come up and, and step in and, uh, and perform for us, even if we we're in a, a playoff series against a good team? So I think he's, he's exceptionally good at, uh, at looking ahead as well and preparing his team and giving them enough depth in the minors so that if something happens, uh, Jeff, yeah. in the NHL, that, that they're ready to step in.
0: You know, I'm glad you brought up Tyler Tucker as well, Panger, because uh, I watched him tons in Oa playing OHL Barry Colts. And, you know, I think of the St. Louis Blues and they've, you know, going back to expansion 67, it's always been a a team that's had some snarl and had some bite. And I'll be honest with you, it's nice to see that on the back end of the St. Louis Blues here because I know the premium right now in the NHL is always on skill. I get it, skill, skating, all of it. I'm kind of used to seeing some more toughness with my St. Louis Blues. eh, Panger?
2: Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I li- you know me, I like some snarl. I mean, I think there's there's room for the smaller player that can move the puck up the ice, that can lead your power play. But, you know, right now, the, w- even without Pareko and Bortuzzo, you've got Nico Mikola that's played really well. Uh, Yad, Tyler, Tucker. Yeah. You, Callie Rosen is a player that I'm telling you what, he's, he's unheralded. He's almost like Carl Gunnarsson when he was here with the Blues. Just a quiet Swede that does his work. And so, yeah, but I, yeah. I, I like it when... You know, in the last game, Tyler Tucker, he and Sam Carrick fought. It was only five seconds left in the game, but Carrick had a little bump in with the goalie and, and, and Tucker wasn't going to let that moment get away from him. And he was going to make an impact and he does so with a good scrap. And uh, he was telling me where he was from. I said, I, you're a Thunder Bay guy, right? And he goes, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm from further north than Thunder Bay. It's 11 hours to Winnipeg and 11 hours to Toronto from where I, from where I grew up. I'm like, Wow. That's, that's, that's cold territory right there. seems like a good kid. And is and a. Is, uh, you know what? I just told him this morning, just uh, before I took the call, I, I, I said, you know what, Tyler, what you found out is you, you, you belong in this league. You're good. You're, you know what, what you have to do. You close gaps, you're good, you're strong, and you can make a good first pass. And I said, you're, what you've proven is that you can stay in this league. And that's, that's great news for him. I know he's a, he's a great kid and a real confident kid.
0: Yeah, he uh, he 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 really is. I mean, he's I I, I like him. I know we're, we're we're making a lot of a guy that's been in the NHL for five minutes, but he's. I think that really sent the message and uh, left a, a real impression here. Um, let me ask you about the three really quickly. The couple of minutes I have left with you, let me ask you about those three that I mentioned: Bushnevich, Thomas, and Kyrou. From the beginning of the season to what we've seen recently, this looks like a major like a major turnaround for these two.
2: Yeah, very much so. And with the Tarasenko missed the last game because he was sick and, and Tarasenko won't play again tonight and not at the practice. So uh, anytime Craig Ruby gets the chance to put uh, Jordan Cairo with Robert Thomas, um, it works out. Um, um, the only thing they're guilty of sometimes, Jeff, is they're just you know, you know, looking for the next play instead of what's ahead of them. And then they just get a quick reminder from the coach to keep that puck going forward instead of sideways. But they're, they're 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 magic with the puck. Some of the plays that they made in the last game against the Ducks was just it was it was really really good. I at one point during the game, uh, Bouchnevich and, and Thomas and Cairo, I thought they were the I thought that was Laryanov, Kozlov and Fedorov. They were the they were for sure the Russian three out there. And then they, it was like nobody else touched the puck. And I, I you know what I think too, Jeff. I think they I think they showed a young skilled Ducks team um, what playing like bigger boys was, if you know, if you know what I mean. And I, I, they played hard on pucks. They won battles. Their stops and starts. They, they just did things at a different level uh, than even the two, you know, high-end young guys like uh, Zegers and Terry. Uh, you know, they, I know they, they can make plays and all that, but I think they learned something from that last game. And I, I would imagine that those two players in particular will be better in tonight's game.
0: Uh, I, once again, it's uh, St. Louis and Anaheim this evening, eight o'clock Eastern. Um, let let me conclude with this one. Ryan O'Reilly has been, you know, one of our favorite players for a long time, uh, going back to his, to his, uh, junior days. Um, at times it's been a challenging season for Ryan O'Reilly. It is a contract year. I don't think he is, you know, he he wants to continue playing. Obviously he's the, the quote unquote hockey lifer here. Um, how do you see the rest of the way going for Ryan O'Reilly and where's he at right now?
2: Well, right now he's playing great hockey. For for those that saw the early parts of the game, I that was a frustrated Ryan O'Reilly. Um, wasn't holding on to pucks, wasn't yeah. making plays. I, I think as you get older, and especially in the pressure of being in a contract year, I, I, I think you're. You, I think what you're trying to, or at least what he was trying to do, was play a faster game. And I remember I had a conversation with him about maybe six or seven games ago, and 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 our conversation was, you, you, you've never done anything fast. So, kind of why start now? You know, and I didn't mean that in a harsh way, but I was like, I was, I was talking about like Luke Robitaille is, you know, stayed slow his whole career. Dave Anderchuk yeah. wasn't the fastest in the world. You know, those, players, I, they didn't just try to get fast all of a sudden. They, they maintained their speed, their way of playing, their way of thinking, yeah. their way of slowing things down. And and now he's he's kind of got that calmness back in his game. And I know Steve Ott, who's an assistant coach with the Blues, who does a great job. You know he's he's in his corner all the time and talking about the same things that I just mentioned. So he's playing great hockey right now. After a real yeah, it was he struggled early on. They couldn't find him a right winger. Yeah. I, I like to say this, Jeff. He was he's like Batman and he and he lost Robin and Robin's uh you know Robin's mm. uh, uh David Perron. You know his right winger, his guy that slows things down and his guy that uh, makes plays for him in small areas of the ice. And now it's just been an adjustment. So and I think right now with Josh Levo, he's right. making that adjustment really really well.
0: Good to see uh, and great to have you aboard. Enjoy tonight's game. One of 10 on the board around the the busy NHL Monday. Uh, Thanks so much, as always, for this panger. You're the best. We'll catch up soon.
2: No problem, Jeff. Take care, bud.
0: There he is. uh, The great Darren Pang filling us in on the St. Louis Blues tonight. Once again, they'll face off against uh, the Anaheim Ducks. You know, a team that they really, like, really had their way with uh, on Saturday. Anaheim's going to be one of the more. Intriguing teams all ready to follow leading up to trade deadline time. Uh, Six-game winning streak now for the St. Louis Blues. And as Panger mentioned, yeah, that is a, that is an NHL record. Uh, eight losses in regulation. Like it was about five minutes ago, right? We were all talking about what's happening with the Blues. Should they trade Tarasenko now? Do they move Ryan O'Reilly? Uh, what do they need to, to bring in? Uh all the, the 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 big ticket players, where have they gone? Need more production up and down the lineup. And I'll tell you, like, I'm sure the pressure was sky high on Doug Armstrong to do something. Like when you go through a losing streak like that, like when you start to when you start to creep into like four or like I know it's a streaky league, right? Like teams can Teams can handle certainly losing two in a row, three in a row, you know, four in a row. You start to get uncomfortable. Five, the turtleneck gets pretty tight. Six, you're really having a hard time grabbing a breath. And then after that, it's whoa, is it time we make decisions uh, on things here? Like the the last thing you want to go through is just an enormous, and it, because it's so hard to drag yourself out of it. You don't want to go through an an enormous losing streak. You can't right now in the NHL because you can bury yourselves fast, especially, especially if you're not picking up points along the way. You know, like the odd, you know, chisel out a cheap, greasy point here and there. Okay, we didn't get the win, but we got a point, boys. Um, it's, It's tough when you're getting scotched. And then to turn around. And rip off a six game winning streak, the likes of which the St. Louis Blues have done, and have pretty much erased uh that eight game losing streak like that's that's impressive like full marks and full marks to the to the manager as well uh that must have been that's a, that's a that that's a veteran guy um as much as he may have you know been out in the marketplace kicking tires and seen what was available and what could he do once again, you know. Doug Armstrong was patient with a team that probably you could make the argument didn't deserve his patience at that time, Uh, but good on him. Anyhow, that's one of 10 games on the, uh, on the horizon this evening uh, around the NHL. I I do want to remind you about a a couple of these games. So on Monday night, uh, Monday, Rogers, Monday night hockey. There we go. Get the branding, right? Uh, The Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the New York Islanders. Uh, the Islanders coming off a tough one against the Dallas Stars, although Matthew Barzell scores, finally scores goal number one and goal number two. First of all, happy for the guy. Um, you always like to score goals. It makes you feel good. makes you feel like you're contributing. Uh, but as we talked about with Shana Goldman last week, it wasn't as if this guy wasn't making significant contributions, and he was shooting a lot more. Um, so you knew that eventually some were going to start to go in for him. Uh, But they lost to the Dallas Stars in that game. The Islanders did. Dallas Stars look fantastic. Don't look now. But it looks like both Jamie Benn and Tyler Sigan are back, which is bad news for the rest of the Western Conference. Because if these guys are healthy and performing, and they have been now through the first 20-game mark of the season, that is very dangerous for everybody else in the Western Conference. So, listen, no shame in losing to Dallas. That is a really, really good team there. And was good to see Scott Wedgwood backing up Jake Ottinger uh, because that scene late last week with him going off on the stretcher, holding his back, was one that nobody uh, enjoys seeing. Anyway, Maple Leafs and Islanders, 7.30. The puck drops pregame at 7 o'clock. Uh, you can watch that one on Sportsnet. One, East Ontario and Pacific. Uh, we also have the uh, the Flames and the Flyers. Uh, we have the Oilers and the Devils on Sportsnet on. Ter- that might be the game of the night, actually. The Oilers and the Devils, Connor McDavid versus the New Jersey Devils, and I'm sure if you're listening or watching a program like this, I don't need to try to describe the Connor McDavid goal against the Vegas Golden Knights on Saturday, right? Like we all saw that, either watched it live on Hockey Night in Canada or watched the highlights later on that night into the morning or the next day. Just another chapter. As Connor McDavid continues to, uh, as we just had the Hall of Fame last week, write his Hall of Fame book, just spectacular. That is probably the game of the night. Although the Avalanche and the Stars looks really good too tonight. We've got Jacob Chikrin returning as the Arizona Coyotes face off against the Nashville Predators. Um, there's some good ones. Jets and Hurricanes look like looks like that's a really good one. Vegas and Vancouver got that one on Sportsnet Pacific later on 10:30 Eastern. Start there. I think we all know why we're watching the Vancouver Canucks these days. Also, the uh, the um, uh, the Ottawa Senators facing off against the San Jose Sharks. There was uh, there was no delight in watching Ottawa. Like if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, I hate you know when teams get booed when they get off the ice. Like ah, it just must suck as a player. I mean, Ottawa on Saturday afternoon, if you watch the game, they just got beat by a better team. Like, the New Jersey Devils are are in a groove, the likes of which we haven't seen in a long time in the regular season in the NHL, and they just flat out got tuned up. Like, there's, there's nothing else you can say about it. Like, Ottawa got beat in every facet of the game. Um, Brady Kachuk afterwards talking to Ian Mendez about how frustrated he is, about how... His coach is being treated either in the arena or on social media. You know, the captain stands up for the, the coach, as you would expect. It's situation critical there right now, right? This is not the way things were supposed to go for the Ottawa Senators. You wonder how quickly or if at all Pierre Dorian's able to do something to uh, to shake things up and and bring in a new body as, you know, he's most recently given the, uh, the head coach... A vote of confidence. So Rogers Monday Night Hockey tonight, 7:30. The puck drops. The Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the New York Islanders. By the way, and we'll talk to Elliot about both these teams, the Islanders and the Maple Leafs, at the top of the hour. Um, Sheldon keeps saying, you know, that uh, the that TJ Brody has not progressed the way they thought he might have, and so is uh, still not available for service. Okay, um, Elliot Friedman coming up at the top of the hour. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Andrew Raycroft coming up in a couple of moments from Nesson and the Morning Brew podcast. Talking about the amazing Boston Bruins. 14 wins in their first 16 games. They good. Raycroft comments and moments. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.
2: Everything Raptors, before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to the program. Uh, Here Monday to Friday starting at noon Eastern. Elliot Friedman coming up top of the hour. Meanwhile, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation with Andrew Raycroft as I play phone tag with another former NHL goaltender that I'm going to ask uh, Razor about here in a couple of moments. Uh, he is an analyst with Nesson. He is uh, one half of the Morning Brew podcast along with Billy Jaffe. He is Andrew Raycroft, and he joins me now. Andrew, how are you today?
3: I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm good. Okay, before we get into the Boston Bruins, I'm playing phone tag right now and text tag with Ken Reggett. Because last night, and I got this, I got this goalie thing going on on the, on the show today. I just had Darren Pang, we've got you, and I'm going back and forth here with Ken Reggett. So, yesterday on the podcast, me and Elliot were talking, we got a, a, an email about are you allowed to change goaltenders on the fly? And the rule is, you are like you're allowed to do it, just like any other any other player change. You do need to uh, a whistle before you can you can change again. But you're allowed to do it on the fly. And both Elliot and I were speculating on whether it had ever happened before. And someone sent me a clip of a Pittsburgh Penguins New York Rangers game from '92. Would have been in I think March, maybe April. Scotty Bowman was coaching, and sure enough, Ken Regan and Wendell Young as the Penguins marched the puck down to the Rangers end. They change, and I'm trying to find context for this thing. So I, I know Ken a little bit, so I texted him this morning. He just called back. I was on the air, so we're bouncing back and forth so I can try to get the backstory on this one. Have you, as a goaltender, Andrew Raycroft, have you ever changed on the fly and swapped out with the backup goalie or been the backup goalie no. to swap out?
3: No, I, I haven't. I, we always Goaltenders have laughed about it for years, and I've heard Wendell Young tell that story before um of them doing that and I forget what the point of it was there there there's some kind of a reason for it but uh it was uh it's always something funny and guys would talk about it and laugh about it uh a couple years ago I think it was it must have been COVID because the buildings were empty Duke Arras skated to the bench thinking they were down a goal. the Bruins were down a goal and it was a tie game he got all the way to the bench Right. And yeah. so that was that was the closest I've seen to a goalie line change in the last few years and and Duke had no idea what the score was.
0: <laughs> have you have you ever you must have been tempted like to work out with, you know, the other goaltender, like, hey man, if it's a blowout, let's just change on the fly. I don't care what the coach says.
3: Yeah, well, and and to stick it to the coach even more so, right? When you get when he leaves you in the net for an extra couple on the road on a on a Saturday night, it's like, all right, I'm going to show you. But the goal, usually the goalie sitting on the bench is, doesn't want to reciprocate that, and he doesn't want to go in, so it's kind of hard to get that change.
0: Uh, I got to get to the bottom of this story. Anyway, that's a that's an aside. Uh, as always, want to have you on and talk about the Boston Bruins. You're right there. I mean, you're. You know, you have your thumb on the pulse. Like, what is it about this Bruins team? I mean, 14 wins in their first 16 games. Like, we all thought this was going to be the, hey, Boston, just keep your head above water. We know you're going to struggle. Just try to make it respectable. Don't embarrass yourself. Pick up points. And when, you know, when the reinforcements arrive and, you know, we get the team back, then all of a sudden we'll, we'll bang the drum and make some noise. We couldn't have been more wrong. It was like right out of the gate, this team was shot out of a cannon. What gives... With this team, Andrew.
3: Well, for two, there's lots of reasons. The two main ones are Linus Olmark and Hampus Lindholm. Uh, arguably, can both of them can win their respective trophies, the Vezina and the Norris. They, they're certainly in the top yep. three, in the mix. The Linus has been unbelievable. Swayman went down with an injury. Linus is just winning games. He looks so big in net. He feels very comfortable in this system now coming over from Buffalo last year. He's really got a good feel for what the Bruins do in front of him. And I think he's got his game to a position where he said it the other day, it's almost on autopilot. He's played so many games and it's in such a good place. Pampas Lindholm has been a superstar. It has been incredible how he's played the game, how well he's played the game and what he's meant to the Boston Bruins in all three zones. So when you add those two elements, to Patrice Bergeron, to Brad Marchand coming back early, Charlie McAvoy coming back early, and the depth that the forwards Mm -hmm. have had. They've had 20 goal scorers now uh, on this team. And it's just been, if it's not the guys I just spoke of, it's someone else, the fourth line, third line, stepping up. So it it has been absolutely remarkable watching on a nightly basis. The game they played the other night against Chicago, they, they would have beat they would have beat the '84 Oilers the way they were playing. It, it didn't matter who was on the ice in this <laughs> league on Saturday night. The way they came out and played, it, it was it was something else. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time.
0: I want to get to Brad Marchand here in a couple of moments. We just, you know, had the the, the Hall of Fame uh, a class uh, uh, go in exactly a week ago, and I want to ask you about. Um, his resume, like we all know, the Bergeron is going in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I, I think Marchand should go in the Hall of Fame as well. But pause on that for one second, because I want to get to Hampus Lindholm, and I'm glad you brought him up. And there's one moment which tells me I think more about coaches than the player. But I look at um, I look at that game where it was overtime, and Lindholm grabs the puck. I can't remember if he's behind his net or in front of his net, and he goes end to end. And scores and and ends the game. I think it was in, during overtime. If it wasn't, it's more spectacular. Yep. And the first thing the first thing that I thought of, you let me know whether I'm on or off base on this one. The, my first thought was Montgomery's cool with that. I'm not sure if Bruce Cassidy would have been. Is that accurate?
3: Completely accurate. And and I think you know what? It's not so much that Bruce Cassidy. W- that happening, he just wasn't cool if the mistake got made and it went the other way, where I think Montgomery right. has allowed these guys to make that mistake and allowed those, and, and Lindholm's one of them, Connor Clifton's the other main difference this season in that respect in that there was, there's been a few plays he's made, he's been unbelievable, but there's been a few plays he made where you're like that would have put him on the ninth floor last season, where now he's getting out the next shift. So I think that has been the Mm -hmm. shift where Jim Montgomery has allowed these guys to play with a little more confidence and a little more freedom to make mistakes. So it's And and Lindholm hasn't made a lot of mistakes this season, but certainly has to feel like he's got a flashing green light all the time rather than just a green light.
0: So uh, I'm sure you've seen and, and been part of teams. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Razor.
3: No, no, no! I was just going to say it wasn't overtime. It wasn't Pittsburgh, and it and it was incredible, end to end, right in front of the net, off of a yeah.
0: faceoff. Yeah, that was uh, that was spectacular. Like I, I'm sure you've been part of teams, and and this is I want to sort of impress this thing. I I love talking about Jim Montgomery. Um, I'm sure you've been part of teams that when a coach benches a player he's there for the rest of the game and they're going to make an example and coach is going to flex and the whole deal. And then there are other coaches like my favorite coaches are always the ones that sit a player down for a few shifts and then double shift them and say, essentially, you know, go prove me wrong. Go stick it right back at me. Like, you know, go give me the middle finger. Go go do something to sh- to show me up as I've just sat you down. Montgomery seems like that kind of guy if he's going to sit you down he'll come back and double shift you just to give you a chance to stick it back to the coach share your thoughts on what you've seen so far with Montgomery
3: so I've, I've seen they've been playing so well there hasn't been a lot of benching going on during the games but what we've seen is and I talked about the depth especially deeper in the lineup the third and fourth lines and A guy like Craig Smith hasn't been playing in the lineup. It's been basically A.J. Greer, Craig Smith going in and out of the lineup. But to your point, it hasn't been one game in, one game out. He's given these guys two or three games, and then he moves them out, and he goes back to the other guy for two or three games. And and as a player – that gives you the ability to not feel life and death on every shift. You sense it. You recognize that I have to play well. There's a competition here for my job. But if I turn the puck over, I'm not coming right out of the lineup. I'm going to have a couple games to give myself a chance to really solidify it and and also prove that I can do the job that you're asking me to do. So I've seen that notice. and, And again, on the back end, the other night, Anton Stroman played two in a row, and Zaboro came out for two in a row. So he's been doing it both with the defense mm-hmm. and forwards, not so much on a shift-to-shift basis, but on a game-to-game basis. Uh,
0: okay, Brad Marchand this is another one of my favorite topics. Uh, I think this guy has done enough to eventually go into the Hockey Hall of Fame when the career is all done and he, and he waits the uh, obligatory uh, waiting period. You've watched a lot of Brad Marchand. You know him. Uh, you know what he means to the team, I think, in this generation. Like, this generation has had a lot of really good left-wingers. Uh, to me, he's, you know, right up there, you know, uh, right up there around the top. I know, this, and Ovechkin's, you know, going to bump Rocket Richard off the Mount Rushmore uh, of hockey here. But, but nonetheless, um, when I say Brad Marshan and Hockey Hall of Fame, what does Andrew Raycroft come back with?
3: My first thought is close. Two C-words, close and controversial, possibly. I think I, 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 for what he's done with the Bruins, there's no question. He's got the Stanley Cup. The one thing, and I think we saw it a little bit last year, when the Olympics were canceled, I feel like he needs to do a, have a huge Canadian tournament. And that hasn't been his fault. I think he would have had that tournament had they been in the Olympics the last few years. I feel like there's still enough people in Canada, and, and we know the, the Canadian media is influential in the Hockey Hall of Fame voting, and, and there's lots of voices in Canada that might mm-hmm. still be on the fence with some of the antics, the suspensions that have happened prior. But I think if he went out in an Olympic-type scenario, a World Cup scenario, and did what he does for the Boston Bruins, 14 Canada... I think that puts him over the top. So I, I, I do. I'm with you. I, there's, he's one of the best players of his generation, which is what gets you into the Hockey Hall of Fame and, and should get you into the Hall of Fame. He deserves it at this point, and, and he's only going to continue to pile the points over the next couple years. So I think yeah. he's in, but I do think that there is, he, he's not he's sure not moonwalking in like Patrice Bergeron is. <laughs>
0: No, that's that's a good way to put it too. the 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 thing about about Brad Marchand too, and I I know it's, you know, even though the award was created for a winger, uh, I know it's really tough for a winger to win the Sulky Trophy. This thing was created essentially to give Bob Gainey something, um, but you know, every year when you look at the the numbers and and what happens when Brad Marchand is on the ice. Uh, namely, you know, you look at shots as a proxy. Shots go one way when Brad Marchand, is, like, he's always in the conversation with for the Selkie. Like, he hasn't won one. I know it's tough for wingers. Ask Mark Stone. Listen, Marion Hosa just had his number retired last night by the Blackhawks, having exactly zero Selkie trophies. I don't know how he was able to go through an entire career playing the way that he did uh, and not pick up at least one Selkie trophy. But it's tough. I get it for a, for a winger to win this thing. And I see the same thing about Brad Marchand, like in a different era when there wasn't just that bias that, you know, you have to be a center to win the sulky trophy. Brad Marchand, probably because I think Gary Lettinen would have been the last winger to win it. He probably would have picked up a couple of sulky trophies. Now, when you talk about sulky trophies in the Boston Bruins, the, conversation is dominated by the guy they should probably rename the trophy after and patrice bergeron but he's very much in that shadow of bergeron but for my money he's always like for the last few years always in the top five andrew
3: he is and and yes patrice is obviously going to get a lot of that credit he gets he it it just that's the nature of it and and brad's on at the, he's uh, the Robin to Batman in, the, in that scenario. But to your point, and it's a great point, he could do that. He could do what Patrice does. He reads the game like Patrice does. Those two play off each other mm-hmm. so well, and I think Patrice has taken the, the more defensive side and allowed Brad to go and do his spinorama and get in the corner, but that's because that's his strength. And, and Patrice would rather see him go in the corner and compete with it because Every single night you watch the Boston Bruins play, if Brad Marchand goes in the corner song, something, he's coming out with a puck. No, no ifs, ands, yeah. or buts about it. He's the one that comes out with the puck. And so he's taken that responsibility, that role on between the two of them. But, but no question, to your point, his defensive acumen, his ability to recognize where the danger is coming from is, is shown when he gets out there and PKs. But, but he does it all over the ice
0: uh to me, he's one of the most remarkable players in the league and, and has been for quite some time uh as we as we let you go really quickly, your thoughts on you know someone who you know asked for a trade, rescinded, and you know now the Boston Bruins and you know Jake DeBrusque are both you know reaping the benefits. Your thought on Jake debrusque so far this season will will end there We
3: were just talking about the other night the the way his game looks now from 10 months ago he's he's like the comeback player of the year in the nhl uh, it's it's his and, and a lot of times in the last couple of years and not even before the trade request and everything else a lot of jake's success on the ice depended on him getting on the score sheet you would you would have to see he, when he scored he was on if he got an assist he was on but now he's making a huge difference in the game, not scoring. He's making a huge difference in the game with his feet and getting in on the four check, playing the penalty kill minutes. Now playing a 200 foot game. It's, it's been remarkable how much he's embraced the new coaching change and also just how much he's embraced the idea that he can be a 200 foot player and an impactful player without having to score goals on a nightly basis. So He's, he's bringing it every night. His consistency is way, way, way up, shift to shift, game to game, period to period. And, and he, again, is another main reason, as well as all the other 22 guys on this team, they've chipped in and, and allowed this team to get to 14-2. and two.
0: Should be a good one tonight. Uh, the Bruins and the Bolts, uh, two Rams going head to head. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Andrew, thanks as always for stopping by, man, and uh, and indulging me in my changing goalies on the fly conversation. I I knew you'd have something to add there. That was awesome. You uh you be well, and uh, we'll check back soon. Say hi to our buddy Billy Jaffe for me.
3: Oh, I hundred percent will. Thanks, Jeff. Have a good day.
0: There is, there is the great Andrew Raycroft, uh, analyst for Nesson, also one half of the Morning Brew podcast, a pod all about the Boston Bruins. Uh, other side of that game tonight, the Tampa Bay Lightning will welcome Dave Randorf to the program here in hour two. Lightning play by play voice. But up next, fresh off the Islanders Leafs practice, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night and 32 Thoughts. Don't go anywhere.
2: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to the program. Uh, ten games on the go around the NHL this evening. Mentioned New Jersey and the Edmonton Oilers. That is a big one. True. Uh, the Islanders and the Maple Leafs. That one on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. True. That's a big one as well. But also the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins. And guess what? Tampa is just fine. Shocking. Uh, Dave Randorf knows that all too well. He's the play-by-play voice of the Bolts. And he joins me now. Dave, how are you today, pal?
4: Great, Jeff. Good to hear your voice. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing uh, quite well down here. Yeah,
0: it's fine. Pleasure is uh, is all mine. When uh, when this team got out of the gate and struggled, and this team didn't look like that Tampa that we're used to, and you know, then the uh, the story turned into, oh, they played too many games? This uh, this team is banged up. This team is this team is beaten up. Uh, this team is too bruised, they can't keep back. What went through your mind? I mean, you've watched this team, you know the players, you've seen all of it. Um, it seems like, you know, sane hockey people are saying, relax, Tampa's going to be fine. What were you saying when you saw Tampa out of the gate this year?
4: Well, it was definitely something that they're not used to seeing around here. They started 1-3, and, and first time I don't have it in 10 years. 5-4 and four in the month of October. I saw... Just on paper, I saw seven of their first nine on the road, including a trip to California, including three sets of back-to-backs in the first eight games of the season. So, you know, right at the gate for a team that's played a ton of hockey, there was a lot of stuff like that. And there is the the storyline of the the, the lots of games, 71 games, 71 playoff games over the last, and this is not three years. That's three playoff seasons well within a three-year window because of the bubble and the timing of the restart and all that kind of stuff. So the big question in my mind and certainly around here was what was going to be the biggest detriment to them out of the gates in the first, you know, two months of the season? Would it be the physical fatigue or the mental fatigue? And I asked uh, that question of a lot of guys, uh, coaches, uh, Julie Brees, boss and players, and they all said pretty much the exact same thing mental fatigue just getting it kick-started mm. again beginning the long trek back up the hill because there's a group that definitely feels like their window is far from closed they've got their nucleus they've got their core yep. guys minus you know minus ron mcdonough who's now with nashville minus andre Pallot, who outside of this market i don't know whether or not he's really an underrated guy you know a big piece to puzzle outside of tever bay or not but around here he was a you know, it's a, it's a lifetime bolt and a key guy playoff time and all that stuff. So he's out of the mix, and he's on the top line too. So they dig all that and roll it all up in a ball, and you get the one-and-three start, and kind of a physical uh, beginning. Uh, and mm-hmm. their big problem early on was that they were, they were just giving up too much. They were just giving up too many great A's, leaning on Vasilevsky and Elliott way too hard. And uh, and the records and the goals against started to show it, and the goal scoring wasn't quite there either, so it was a bad mix. Uh, but now, as you point out, here they are. They've given up three goals in their last two games, both wins. That's so one goal against against Dallas and two goals against against Nashville, or sorry, against Calgary, and then two goals against the win Saturday night at Nashville. So those two games are the first time in the month of November where they've allowed less than three in a game. So they're starting to mm-hmm. close things out better. They're starting to revert back to form. They're eight, two and one now on a, on a roll. they're six, one and one at home. They're starting to look a lot more like the team. Um, they're shaking the cobwebs off. And so this is my long answer right. to what I was I would definitely I, I think everybody gives this group the benefit of the doubt because they still remain hungry. They are very good at self correct, self-evaluating and self-correcting. They really are. They, they they're not an excuse bunch at all, and despite all the ones I just listed off, they don't take it like that. And they're not a group that either. <laughs> they're they're not a group either, Jeff, that says, "Oh, it's early." Now, I don't know about you. That's yeah. one of my pet peeves when anywhere in sports when people say oh, it's early. I'm not a big believer in it's early. It's never yeah. early. And, and neither is John Cooper. He's all his quote is. We always got a munch points. Got a bunch of point. And that doesn't matter whether it's munching points in October, November, December, or March. Um, this is a team that, that knows they'll, they'll more than likely be in the playoffs, but they want to make sure they are well within that playoff bubble, well within it, before, you know, later on when, you know, the real grind of the season starts in February and March.
0: You know, you mentioned Ryan McDonough there a second ago, and you know he was a really unique, a real unique presence uh, on that blue line, dynamic playoff performer, as we we've all seen. I mean, the sacrifices that uh, McDonough made. I mean, his 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 body wears it. Um, but cushioning that blow when when he uh, a- ended up with uh, the Nashville Predators, you know, cushioning that blow was they had someone ready to step into that second pairing spot. Um, like right away in Mikhail Sergachev. And I don't know what we were expecting or how Sergachev was going to perform. Elevated minutes, different position, uh, like different different pairing rather. Um, I think we all knew that he was ready for it, but he's got 18 points in 18 games. Like he's on pace for an 82-point season here. And to me, like I'm sure in the market people are talking about it, but... This is like the quietest defenseman who's on a point-per-game pace maybe in the NHL, Dave.
4: Would it surprise you? And I think it's not you because you, you're you around the game every day, but it might surprise some people out there to just be reminded he's only 24. Mikhail Sergachev, oh, who seems like yeah. he's played in the league now for 10 years, is 24 years old. So he is yeah. the big story right now with the Lightning in terms of their defenseman. Uh, McDonough's gone. Uh, Jan Ruda's gone, and that's no small piece of the puzzle because he played all, pretty much all the time. With, yeah, he played all the time with Hedman, and and uh, that's a big yeah. piece of Hedman, or was a big piece of Hedman's comfort zone when, when his game was at its best. But getting back to Sergachev, they signed him to a big, long eight-year contract extension, and he comes out publicly and said that, you know, he wants this. He wants a bigger role. He's, you know, grateful to be given a bigger role with this team, and he's learned from from the headman's and the stand coaches and the plots and all those guys uh, that have been here before him about the culture and the standard that that exists in that room. And he's, he feels he, he wants it and he's ready for it. And he also said something that was very important to me. I need to be more consistent. Night in, night out, because that was the thing with Surguchev. He would dazzle you some nights, and then he'd make a bunch of turnovers the next night, or he'd miss the net with a whole bunch of shots. And some nights he'd get two or three points. The other night, it was you know he was still developing or still a young defenseman. Well, he's mm-hmm. played very well, as you pointed out, 18 points in 18 games. He's been moved onto the number one power play unit. Uh, Hedman was uh, Victor Hedman's been taken off of that because they were struggling with the man advantage, and and has gone in there and and you know he had a four point game this year. So that kind of tells you where his confidence level is, and you know any defenseman out there will tell you that they like to get their points too, and a lot of that confidence stems from that. He's certainly got it, got it going right now, and there's there's a bit of a transition slowly. I mean, Headman's far from done, but uh, you know this is the, the next part of the next phase for the Lightning, and that this being Sargis uh, the blue line. It's not his yet, but this is the, this is the step one of that transition.
0: Uh, That side has always looked good. Um, Steven Stamkos. uh, I don't think we should be surprised, uh, but here we go. 10 goals, 20 points in 18 games. Uh, He's the leader. He's always been the one that has said, you know, don't worry about us. We know what we're doing. We're in control here. Um, What is the relationship or the dynamic between Steven Stamkos and John Cooper? I mean, one's the captain, one's the coach. They've been with each other for a long time now. Uh, when you're a player and you're with a coach for that long, there's going to be bumps in the road, certainly. When you're a coach and you have a team as long as John Cooper has had, uh, sometimes the messages get lost because they need to hear a different uh, you know, a, a different voice or accents on different syllables. Uh, what's the relationship with Stamkos and, and John Cooper these days?
4: Well, I can only tell you what I observe from the outside, obviously, not in the room. I'm around the team a lot and, and everything else. But uh, first of all, and we've talked about this before on your show, Steven Stamkos is, is, you know, 10th year as a captain. He is a a character person on and off the ice and a pillar of this organization. He, it, the culture and the standard that they set and that they have begins with him and Victor Hedman. And so, so there's that. So I think there's a, I I believe there is certainly a healthy amount of respect between the two. Um, They've both been successful, John as a coach, Stephen as a player. And uh, I think there's a a tremendous amount of of respect that you certainly would need to have between a long term, the longest tenured coach in the league and and one of the longest tenured captains in the league. It goes hand in hand. Stephen makes no secret about it that he would rather play center uh, and he's not right now. And I remember talking to him about it at the beginning of the season again. He said, but, you know, the reward is if I play the wing, I'll, I'll be playing with Pointer and Kucherov. Well, he's not. Uh, right now that spot belongs to Brandon Hagel. Yeah. Steven's on a second line right now that, that's, that's playing well with Nick Paul in the middle. Uh, Stamco certainly takes his fair share of face-offs, and, you know, they drift all over the ice. And Alex Kloon is the other winger on that one. And you've got to think that uh, Anthony Cirelli is close to coming back very close after shoulder surgery now season. you got to think it really will be up there. But So, you know, would he rather be, you know, playing center ice and having his 100-point season like he did last year for the first time in his career? Probably. He, he wouldn't lie to you. But he's enough of a team player and, and can see the big picture as well as anybody can that, uh, that uh, he knows his, his, his points and his contribution is going to be valued and, and it's going to come. In terms of him on the ice, he's just been healthy. The last year, he 42 goals, 106 points. As mentioned, 100 points. First time in his career at age 31. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And uh, he started out of the gate with a five-game goal streak, seven goals in the five games. And he got, actually got a bit cold. He had none in 10. But it's not like his game dried up. He was still getting a ton of chances. They just weren't going in. And he said the other day, after he started his most recent goal streak, which is up to three games now, he said the other day that that stuff would have bothered him, a dry spell, you know, when he was younger, a younger guy, he would have gone home and been grumpy about it. But he goes, now that he's a father, he's got a young family, he goes home and his kids still think he's their favorite player and it's a lot less of a stressor and he just knows the goals <laughs> are going to come. And and so true, right? You and I are fathers and it's so true. And uh, so yeah. he is... Closing in on two major milestones, he's, he's shouting to got 491 goals, 992 points. So there's two big numbers that are going to happen very soon. Um, as a play-by-play guy, I was wondering whether or not the, the, those two would be the same points, you know, the 500 goals, 1,000 points. That's not going to happen that way. that doesn't work out. But um, still, it will be very, very special around here because he's the best player they've ever had. And he's very special and, and revered and loved in this market.
0: Do you – I'm curious, Dave, um, uh, about your craft. Do you have in your mind what those calls will sound like, 500 goals and 1,000 points?
4: Mm. Uh, I've definitely thought about, the. you know, when it gets close, you have to kind of think about that moment and be right on it and just hope that it's (laughs) – you know, hope it's one of his goals where he just rifles it and it's clear and you can see it easily. Yeah. And there's no 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 tip in front or something like that, you know, a, a goal-mouse scrambler or something weird. Um, that's all you really think about. And uh, last year, he got his 100th point, and it, it was one of those moments where it was it was slammer slapper from the, the left side, the left side boards there, and and it was there was no doubt. So he just as a play-by-play guy, that's what you want. You want to see the moment clearly. And I got to admit, uh, you know, if it were to happen at home, the, the building is such a fun building to call games in because it really is an energetic arena um, that you just kind of ride yeah. the the crowd because they will be sensing it. There's no doubt about it. They'll, they'll be sensing it uh, when, when he's sit at 499. If in fact it does get a chance to happen um, in Tampa, but there's a game in Toronto in the in <laughs> near future. You never know. You never know because he likes up the league oh. all the time. So <laughs> could you imagine that one let's
0: let's just a, a, a couple of things one because I want to hear a great call by you on the 500th uh, let's just so, I mean if it is in Toronto I mean that would be spectacular for all the obvious reasons and let's not let's just hope as well that there's not an offside challenge on the play after he scores oh number God. 500 yeah. it's just leave it clean leave it clean oh.
4: <laughs> that happened the other night too i think there was uh i think there was an overtime goal by Kalorn uh, that they ended up challenging and it ended up counting and everything was fine but or something like that but yeah those are things you can't control yeah. you can't worry about but uh but you're right it's uh it's the game. It's, it's, it's it's fun to be around those moments and any play by play guy will tell you you know this is I got the chance yeah. to call on Sportsnet, actually, Ovechkin's 500th goal was a Sunday night game. Remember when you used to have Sunday night hockey? I think it's Monday night yes, now, isn't it? Yes,
0: I do, of course. So uh, yeah. it was against
4: yes, it um, Ottawa. It was against Ottawa, and it was, it's fun to be there for those moments. And still so it's, it's amazing to think. Oh, that That seems like yesterday, and now he's close to 800 goals. So that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I know. He's closing in on you-know-who as well. Um, This has been great as always. Dave, you be well. Enjoy the game tonight. It is Tampa. It is Boston. Uh, There's some bangers tonight, and this one kicks it off at 7 o'clock Eastern. We can't wait for it.
4: Yeah, this is one of those games. Cooper even said it this morning. He says there's a couple games in the schedule that get your attention more than others, and this is one. So looking forward to it. Thanks a lot for having me, Jeff.
0: Should be a great one. There is the great Dave Randorf. He's the play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, We thank him for stopping by as always. Ten games on the go around the NHL, as I mentioned previous, uh, and you probably already know. Um, And that's one, and that looks like a doozy. The one thing that we haven't mentioned on the show yet, we got about a what do we have here, Lance? Like two minutes, maybe two and a half. Um, Shane Wright yesterday was sent from Seattle to Coachella Valley, the Firebirds. That's the AHL affiliate. Um, of the Seattle Kraken. Now, I mentioned this on Hockey Night on Saturday. It seems as if the play here, and I think that they were planning on sending him on a conditioning scent a few weeks ago until Jared McCann got hurt, right drew in. There was that one game where he played the 12 minutes. That was that game. And then they had to reset the clock because you can't get sent, just so our listeners and viewers know, You can't get sent down to the American Hockey League on a conditioning stint, the two-week conditioning stint, unless you miss five consecutive games. So Saturday's game against the Los Angeles Kings was game five for Shane Wright of the Seattle Kraken so they could send him down. So he's got two weeks down there. There are five games, a couple against AHL Calgary, one against San Diego, and two against Henderson. So that brings him back to Seattle on December the 4th. Seattle has a game on the 6th, which interestingly enough is against the Montreal Canadiens. You can well imagine that uh, Shane Wright would love nothing more than to play against the Montreal Canadiens, a team that's probably in his mind snubbed him uh, for the first overall draft pick. And I still do believe that that stare was towards the Montreal Canadiens' table. Nonetheless, I digress. And if they're going to send him to the World Juniors, and the last time that I had checked, there had been no indication from Seattle... Um, to Team Canada that they were going to make him available, but that may change. Uh, If they are going to send him to the World Juniors, uh, the kids are arriving on the 8th of December. The camp starts on the 9th. That still lines up with the timeline. That carries Shane Wright into January, and then the decision is, is it Kraken or Kingston? And if it's Kingston, where is he getting traded? And maybe we just saw a clue a couple of weeks ago when one of his best friends and former teammate with the 2003 Don Mills Flyers, Brennan Othman, went from Erie to Peterborough. Just put it out there. Thanks to everyone who stopped by today, Elliot Friedman. Uh, Thanks to Andrew Raycroft, Darren Pang, and you just heard from Dave Randorf. It is Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Tonight, it is the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the New York Islanders. Pre-game at 7 o'clock. Eastern puck drops just after 7.30. Enjoy that and the nine others on the board tonight. Big night of hockey. Talk about it tomorrow on the Merrick Show. Have a great one.